Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're discussing Nick's burgeoning career as a public speaker and all-round thought leader. Tell us about this new direction in your career. Um, well, I think uh, I was thinking about uh, a recent talk that I gave at a, a meeting in um, uh, the, the the city, which was lots of sort of trendy, startup-y, hipstery type people there. And like I was yourself. pretty, a, a bit like me. So, you know, I was among friends. But I, I, uh, I was, even though I give, I speak in public a lot, I do lots of talks, standing up in front of people, um, whether they want me to or not, and uh, and it, you know by this time I'm really not nervous. I'm not nervous about public speaking like I was when I was you know when I think back to when I was sort of 25 and I, I'd hardly done it. Um, but it still pre- preys on my mind. You know, for I can tell that I'm kind of getting a bit nervous a week or two before, and you start rehearsing things in your head, and it doesn't matter how much you've rehearsed it in your head, there's still a certain sense of dread there. Um, you know, which does certainly doesn't deter me from doing it, but it but it's enough to to sort of uh, you know to 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 be a noticeable relief when it when it's over, and I I think I was sort of realizing once it was finished how how relieved I felt, and I think it I was thinking to myself, well, why do we dread? And this may sound like a ridiculous question. I mean, intuitively, people will think, why why are you even asking this? But why do we sort of why do emotions have a direction like that? Like you know, we don't dread things that have happened in the past. You know, we're kind of relieved they're over, but we dread things that are in the future. And uh, the question is, why? Because logically, right? Having, logically, having I mean, I, I, everything you said, I think, oh, yeah, I agree with. Because logically, once we've become experienced enough, we know that we, how we're going to feel afterwards. So yeah, but why then? Why don't, can't don't we I, just sort of feel that excited and happy? Right, before? right. So why don't I? Why don't I get excited about the thought of it being over? Why instead do I dread the completely made-up, imagined things that that might go wrong? Well, fortunately, we have a fellow thought leader with us here today. So, uh, Peter, what, what do you reckon? Um, well, we another, another interesting. I'm I, I'm not going to comment directly on that, but another interesting thing is the retrospective enjoyment. So, the relief that Nick felt, and the the kind of having done, got over this thing, which was a bit difficult or a bit scary, he felt happy, uh, and there was sort of this retrospective enjoyment thing that happened. Um, and this, I mean, this, this, you see this everywhere. And I, I, just reading around, it's it's well understood in all the out, all outdoor sports and things that you know you've had a hard walk or a, a hard um, a hard hike or a hard climb or something. There's this elation once it's over, um, which is which is strange because it's 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 it's, it's sort of um, didn't enjoy. You definitely didn't enjoy it at the time. But you enjoy the memory of it once you've finished. So you rather, rather would be more rational if, if you didn't enjoy the times probably because you would, it was dangerous or, or particularly, um, particularly uh, sort of life-threatening. So you should really not enjoy the memory. You should really think I'm never going to do that again because I was in danger. But it also makes me want to, you know, invert it. So you know, if there's something 
uh, you're really looking forward to um is it always the case that you 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 look back and go oh i didn't enjoy that it's a bit like new year's eve or something i don't know but um well or, or, but do you regret do you do we feel negative emotions about things that are over i mean i think we sort of do it to an extent don't we I mean, because they obviously uh you know when a holiday's finished um you know you look back with fondness on the holiday but you're sad that it's finished Sad that it's over. Well, yeah. I think you're sad about going back to work, aren't you? That's, That's so maybe it's so maybe it's preemptive dread. Yeah. About yeah. But um, but look, isn't this about um risk taking and, and adrenaline and all that side of things? It's just a kind of natural human behaviour. Well, I mean, that... the, yeah. This so the obvious sort of beginning of an explanation, or at least some that sort of the direction you might want to start going in, is to say, you know, we haven't. We have obviously evolved to have emotions about the future, which are different to emotions about the past, because we can affect the future. Now, without wishing to get too philosophical about why that is, let's just accept that we can affect the future and we can't affect the past, right? You look like that's a controversial statement. You're pulling a face as though that's a no, preposterous thing to that say. We've evolved to be. Yeah, like yeah. That. So, so the I'm point is that you know we've evolved. We've evolved to make. Yeah, uh, we're, decisions we're, about the future we haven't evolved to make decisions about the past because we can't right we can't do anything about that don't worry Fraser we've written off all of the creationists already yeah uh, several <laughs> you know at the beginning of the podcast series so they've we, all gone yeah. they're not listening anymore you know so it makes sense I don't have a problem with evolution but, uh, but so yeah. it makes sense that we that our emotions are sort of at least well let's start by saying you know our kind of let's say decision affecting emotions which so it might be for example if I'm dreading this talk I'm going to put more effort into making sure I get it right it feels like that's incentivizing me to try and do a good job I mean uh, presumably everyone's had anxiety dreams about having to stand up on stage and you know perform uh, to, to play a piano concerto or something you know where you you, you sort of in, in your dream you've haven't done enough work and those sorts of feelings i feel like they are pushing you to make sure you do as good a job as you can and that's good right so it makes sense that we would have emotions about the future that are different to the emotions we have about the past but but once you've once you've started to pick that apart the question is why do we have emotions about the past at all like why do we feel emotionally affected by things that have gone what's the point of that you know, so so for example, if you take something like, uh, you know, shame or grief, they're things that are only about the past. I mean, we must all have had experiences where, you know, your toes still curl when you think about okay, that thing you did. Now, why? What's the point? How does that no, benefit us no, evolutionarily? No, 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 I think you're analysing this in the wrong way because you're analysing this in a linear way, okay? Um, Whereas time is a circle. No, but the whole point of emotions is... I think it's probably to do with interaction with other humans, right? And so I, I just think it's asking the wrong question about whether it's talking about the past or the future. It's because whether it's the past or the future, that's still, that's, it's still, it doesn't matter because it's still within the same um, axis, which is to do with other people. Right, so that's why it's still useful because you can bond with other people about the past, or you can you can feel remorse about your behaviour, how that affects someone in the past. So that's, no, I mean, so that's what are you point. talking about? Emotion like fear isn't about people; it might be about spiders. Okay, so dread isn't necessarily about people; it might be about an asteroid. 
Okay. I think you're. I don't know. People seem to be contingently involved in a lot of our emotions, but it's not. Okay, it doesn't so seem not to be intrinsic to the concept of an emotion. It's broader. I think the the emotions are there to guide your behaviour in a particular yeah, way. Yeah. So which therefore, is advantageous to survival yeah. or to reproduction or to exactly. Or, so or, some emotions are to do with other people, but some in terms of you know it's important having an emotion about the past because then you remember it for the future, like avoiding snakes, yeah, but, for example. Um, right. So this is this is possibly one of the one of the reasons why you might think we we experience emotions about the past is that it deters us from from experience. So negative emotions about the past <clears throat> might deter us from from putting ourselves in a situation where that could happen again. And positive emotions it, about the past would might, seem to be the case. Push us towards we, that. We do chase risks as well. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So, but well. It doesn't. So that doesn't really explain grief, though. So grief of a lost one. But I think one. that is where it is a human one, where it's a human. Yeah, human I, one. I, I agree. Um, and but you, you give the human thing is a part of the survival thing. Uh, but so grief. Why? Why do you grieve for lost ones? Uh, if they, because it, it doesn't do you any favors immediately. Grief. Well, we might say, well, because it it spurs you on to protect them more. To protect the that, ones are still around. Yeah, yeah I yeah. suppose. Yeah. That's. I, I guess that would be the answer. Uh, or at least that that would be that that angle. Um, but now the interesting thing is, uh, how, how the things we're good and bad at predicting about how we'll feel. So this, this idea, this idea, so if we've said, right, emotions about the past only make sense if we think about them in some ways informing our future behavior, then, uh, the, the question is, well, is, does it work, right? Do we correctly, or do we get better at, do we learn properly about how we're going to experience things in the future? And there is, you know, there's quite, there's a lot of studies about this, about sort of predicting or uh, affective forecasting, as Wilson and Gilbert called it in a, a paper in 2003, where, you know, they, they looked at a sort of, they did a meta-analysis of all of the studies about how good people were at predicting what they're going to feel in certain situations. And it turns out that people are good at predicting the emotions they'll experience. So people will say, well, if I'm in a room with a tiger, I'm going to be scared. And people are good at predicting whether they'll be uh, feel positive or negative negative about things but people are really bad at, at predicting how bad they'll feel and for how long so people tend to and this perhaps goes back to, a bit to my you know my sense of dread before giving that talk which was like every other talk I've ever done and it would have been fine and everything was going to be okay but the sense of dread was much bigger than than any kind of consequence that could have occurred justified and uh you know that's that's part of this this issue about not being able to anticipate well it won't be too bad and you know studies have been done on people who you know who have got hiv or lost a limb or whatever and you know where they've been quite they haven't been questioned you know uh how bad do you think things are going to be how will you feel in a year's time and you know in a year's time actually they're fine their life has adjusted uh perfectly well to, to their new situation they're more or less in terms of life satisfaction where they were at the start uh, where they were before it happened and and a similar thing with people who've had like lottery wins where people think it's going to change their life for the better and it and it doesn't you know that more or less people people kind of go back to a level of life life satisfaction they had before now, now why why don't we learn why don't we learn well it doesn't matter and, and why doesn't that affect our future behavior yeah i mean i think i'm i have a suggestion but i don't want to sort of Monopolize no, I, mean, like, this, I think I think that effect. May, may, maybe it's just that we are quite macroscopic in our thinking. Uh, my, sorry, myopic in our thinking. We we can't we can't imagine really a world in sufficient detail beyond like a week or two. 
um and that 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 effect so we 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 were always planning and thinking about the short term yeah and that in fact wait that 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 ties into some some of the things that you know people the, the ways that people respond to the in these kinds of surveys is people will um c- sort of they'll correctly anticipate what they what they will feel about something that's happening tomorrow uh but when they're thinking about something that might be happening in a month people are m- much more it's not so much optimistic but that they view it from a different mode from a far mode where they see themselves in a kind of idealized way so for example you might say look I'm in a real work rush at the moment. There's no way I'm going to be able to give up smoking this this week because I've got these deadlines on, right? But in a month's time, I know I'll find it much easier to give up smoking and I'll feel very positive and I'll go for long walks and everything's going to be fine. And you know that that hasn't happened in the past, even when you haven't had deadlines on. Uh, uh, you know, and yet we don't seem capable of learning that. It seems to be... And I, I, I yeah, sorry. Well, is it a survival mechanism to do with immediate danger? Is it, is it that... You know that that we overemphasize dangers, um, whether it be the danger of that rustling bush over there. Well, I think it's simpler than that. I think that we've we've just because the way the the environment which in which we evolve, we live very much kind of hand to mouth, one hour, one day to the next, hunting, hunting and gathering. So we didn't need con- to develop complex cognitive machinery for planning in detail, way out in advance. But 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 we should. If, but, we, were, if we were going to survive. It would be because we'd find a meal within the next couple of days. Yeah, but it, but presumably it would have suited us to to do that though. If we could have said, well, you know what, we shouldn't eat all this grain. We should save some. Um, you know that would be that would be good, right? I mean, if we could think long term, if we'd evolved to have long proper long term emotions. Yeah, well, I suppose I, there is, but maybe there wasn't a. a feature of the environment which causes us to develop something like that. Whereas yeah. Yeah, we we reached a plateau that was high enough to survive. Oh, well, so I I have my own uh, theory. We're really venturing into the realm of speculation here, which is that it's evolutionary advantageous to deceive yourself about the future, to think that things will make you happier than they do, and that bad things will make you less happy than they do. Um, so you know, if you think about, imagine there's two species. One species sort of has accurate beliefs and knows that well even if we move to that next valley which will be a pain in the bum it won't make us that much happy yeah there's more fruit but we'll just find new things to be upset about you know we we know that we wherever we go there we are right and you know we should just sit in our valley and be happy sounds like my family (laughs) compared to compared to another species who go right well i know this valley turned out to be not all that but the next one that's where that's where it's, that's really going to make things kick off for us. You know, those ones are going to be the ones taking over the world, right? The ones who are perpetually op- too optimistic about the things that are going to be good and, and too pessimistic about the things that, and unsatisfied with what they've got. So, so I just think that self deceit. It's almost like you know our emotions, which have evolved to 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 guide behaviour before our higher functions have evolved. It makes sense that we that our higher functions shouldn't be able to sublimate that. That even though I've done talks like this hundreds of times on the reptilian level i'm i'm still scared of it and my reptile brain hasn't learned that these things are fine and and you know and in a way that's good uh yeah were you so sorry were you saying that that it's is an evolutionary advantage to overemphasize both the positive and negatives this is my my theory here is that yes yes is that is that if if we had evolved to form accurate beliefs about our future emotions, then we would actually be kind of worse off in some ways. 
we 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 oh let's no let, let me rephrase that we we as a species would be worse off but as individuals would be happier so so the point is that being perpetually unhappy is good for the genome but bad for the individual yeah. right so you know your your the your genes are pushing you to do stupid things <laughs> basically things that you you're pushing you to go further than is justified by the reward you'll get because it's good for them but it's you know yeah well, no which is not which is which is not particularly controversial that last point you said i think you know that our genes aren't always good for us as individuals mm. yeah um I'm, I'm glad i think rich dawking would be glad that you you agree with him yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i'm sure so he... you've been converted from your previously creationist stance um <laughs> there's something i want to say so look um there's a couple of things i want to ask about uh but one is so that was one example can we think of anything exciting, anything interesting that was the thing that you have dreaded most and then turned out to be okay? Well, or the thing that you dreaded most and actually turned out to be bloody awful afterwards? Well, not, I mean, it's not dread. I mean, for me, for me, it's the retrospective enjoyment thing, which is definitely I've got lots of experience in, and that's the kind of the the looking at it from the other thing. So something that you thought was going to be good turned out to be rubbish when you were doing it, and then afterwards turned out to be okay when you remember it. Um, and there's a couple of times when I've probably nearly died on a mountain climbing and. Uh, hiking due to bad weather that we didn't predict um but when i look back i think actually that was quite fun which would make which drives me want to go and do it again yeah um and i and why that is is i don't know complicated but the, i found a um a quite a fun taxonomy of enjoyment by leper and malone um and they they they, they suggest there's different sort of classes of sources of enjoyment they, they were thinking about computer games but i think it could be applied to other things um and the things like uh the factors such as when i challenged myself i was recognized for having done something clever or difficult and it was done in cooperation those are all kind of the factors which make that memory in, enjoyable well, it sounds like a description of a, of a of a stone age hunting party exactly yeah, yeah makes exactly, perfect yeah. sense yeah. So that. So yeah. What. So yeah. The the retrospective thing, um. And just another sort of citation I wanted to pop in there. Um. Uh. Nineteen seventy two. Uh. Kroganski. Uh, um. Retrospective misattribution and task enjoyment. So they they play they 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 did a study where they got two groups of people, um. Playing a game, same game, um. And the game was intrinsically designed to be fun. So they, they get some enjoyment out of doing it. Uh, and then after the after everyone had played, one group were awarded a prize if they were successful and the other group weren't. And then time passed and they were interviewed again about that, that experience. And uh, and the basically the conclusion is that the um, people who were awarded a prize enjoyed the thing that they did less. Oh. Um and they attributed the enjoyment to having got a prize rather than to the game itself. So it's, it just, I mean, that doesn't explain it, but it shows you how flexible the sort of human psyche is in terms of memory. Yeah, I mean, there is this big distinction, isn't there, between, <clears throat> which I think we've touched on before, between the, the experiencing self and the remembering self, which I know Daniel Kahneman's done, done work on, about um, looking, at, looking at people's recollection of traumatic events all positive events, and it turns out that what we experience and what we remember are totally different. And and when when you're responding to surveys and things about what's happened, it's your remembering self which takes control. Your experiencing self is kind of pushed to one side. 
<clears throat> so we are what we remember. And when we're talking about things, we are talking about what we remember. And that's only loosely connected to what we've actually experienced, which is really, really strange, but makes perfect sense. If you think about those two selves as different, as, as quite distinct, then what Peter's talking about makes perfect sense. You know, it's the, the remembering self who signs up for that grueling mountain hike uh, and the experiencing self who has to go through it. Yeah. <laughs> poor, old, yeah. poor old experiencing self, uh, constantly being yeah. pushed into stupid things yeah. by remembering so I'm doing, self. I'm doing uh, this for future me, damn him. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just very briefly, just um, there's something I want to discuss in a moment, but before I do, I just remember, okay, it's not quite the opposite, but an experience that I was dreading that was awful and then scarred me for life afterwards is, uh, and this happened repeatedly, when I was a kid from about the age, between the ages of eight and 10, about once every three months, I, I played the piano. And on a Sunday, they used to put on these mini recitals that we had to go and um, and, and play our instruments. Recite. And and it, I just always dreaded it. I just hated playing in front of people. I always was a bag of nerves. I always felt a bit, messed up the piece, and then afterwards felt humiliated and probably got shouted at by my mum on the way home, you know. Um, actually, no, she didn't do that, but she was definitely disappointed. Um, and I, I, every single time I dreaded it, every single time it went wrong. And even now, I mean, I just, oh, it just. Oh, I thought there was going to be a day where everything went wrong. And then someone came up to you and said, that was the best experimental jazz piece I've ever heard. <laughs> here's here's 50,000 pounds and an invitation to Carnegie Hall. Yeah, still waiting for the moment. Um, but listen, before we do, I don't know. So if... I just need to do, chip in with my dreading. Oh, dreading go, on something. go on No, no, it's just, it's worth mentioning because I'm not sure anyone else, I've never heard anyone else talk about this particularly, but um my first talk sort of stand up in front of important people at work talk which was about uh about 17 years ago it was about something that was happening in chechnya and uh there was all kinds of you know senior military people there <clears throat> and um as i was sitting there waiting to go on stage i got cold feet now you're thinking nick means he, he bolted and gave and said he wasn't going to do it no no i actually got cold feet I mean, it was the first time in my life i realized where that expression must have come from that when you when you're <laughs> when you're really really nervous about something your feet go cold but i didn't have metaphorical cold feet i did get up and do it I, was right. glad I did but uh but yeah cold feet who knew um okay look we'll wrap up there yeah basically look it's not going to be that bad guys I mean, you know, that's that's the, what people should read. The hedonic treadmill goes for backwards as well as forwards. Yeah. Right? You well, know, things you're dreading, it won't be that bad. Don't worry about it. Okay, well, You'll good. be fine. Whatever happens, you'll be fine. That's what I want our listeners to sure. to take away. Well, I was dreading. I know they don't, won't unless, believe me. They won't believe me, but it's true. Unless you're on death row and you're dreading your execution, then, then you will Well, no, it might be all right afterwards. But um, might be. might look back and go, no, that was, that was that's quite fine. fun. Yeah. Uh, it was electrifying. Um it's so look, I, I was dreading this podcast and it's you know turned out all right so far so so yeah um thank you for listening i'm dreading the response to that joke <laughs> i liked it <laughs> um thank you for listening until next time goodbye mm-hmm.